Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Or then 18 through 29, when I am finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond with, praise be to God. When Isaac was old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, so that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy, like the brothers Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son, Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I might eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, let's pray together before we dive in. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together to uh, worship you and lift high the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you for your word that uh, is so powerful and alive and um, has the power, the potential every time we hear it, to change our lives. And I pray that you would do that today. I pray, God, that you would change lives in this room. I pray that you would uh, encourage and build up your church. I pray that you would draw people to yourself that are seeking you, uh, that are seeking to understand who you are, that they would see who you are, Lord, and the incredible grace that has been offered to us. Be in my mouth, Lord. And lead it and speak. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so um, hopefully you have a Bible with you. Um, if you don't, there should be a Bible nearby in a chair in front of you. Underneath, you can grab that so that you can follow along. Um, we're going to be looking at this whole chapter, Genesis 27. We're going to be learning a lot of different things from it. Um, and so I want you to be able to follow along and see what we're talking about um, as, as we go. Um, last week, we looked at the story of Isaac's sojourn in the land of promise, and um, we saw that God's blessing, which had originally been given to Abraham, had indeed been passed to his son, Isaac. And in the story of Genesis 27, uh, we see that same Isaac um, in his old age, at the end of his life, desiring to pass that blessing on uh, to the firstborn son, uh, Esau. In ancient Mediterranean cultures, the eldest son would get the lion's share of inheritance. And um, in addition to that, he would also become the, the next leader, the father of the household or the family um, when the father died. The household would consist of uh, immediate family plus extended family plus uh, servants. And, um, and Abraham's household, for example, was enormous. We know that because back in Genesis 14, um, we learned that he had over 300 men in his household who were trained in combat. So um, this is uh, an enormous household. When, when we're talking about that, that's what we're talking about. And um, now Isaac has become the father of this household, um, the leader of this household. In our story today in Genesis 27, um, this is Isaac's uh, household. He's the patriarch, and um, he's planning to bless Esau. Remember, he had twins. We'll look at that. Um, he had Jacob and Esau, Esau the older. He's planning to bless Esau before he passes away and give him the leadership of this household. Um, so we're going to walk through this in uh, four scenes. Like if you were here last week, we kind of looked at the whole chapter in scenes. So scene one that we're going to look at is verses one through four, Isaac makes his own plan. Isaac makes his own plan. Um, why is this such a big deal that, that Isaac is planning to pass the blessing of God onto Esau, uh, which had been on Abraham at first and, and is now on Isaac? Let's go back and refresh our memories a little bit about, about these twins, about Esau and Jacob. Back in Genesis 25, Isaac's wife became pregnant with these twins, and um, she feels them wrestling in her womb, and she's then given a prophetic word from the Lord in the form of a poem, and it's verse 23 in chapter 25. It says, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. Now that is a plot twist, because that's not how things were set up in ancient Mediterranean culture. Um, the older would be the one who's in charge. So, um, but this is a word from the Lord that before Esau and Jacob are even born, that God speaks over these twins. The Lord declares that the weaker second-born son will rule over the stronger 
firstborn son. God had made his will known to Isaac and Rebekah, and it went completely against the wisdom of the day. It's important that we, that we understand that. So this was contrary to the conventional way of doing things. God wanted the secondborn son, not the stronger firstborn, to be the heir and leader of the household. The prophecy was clear. It would be the secondborn who God would pass his blessing to, just as he had passed it from Abraham to Isaac. Now you see why these first four verses raise some tension. Isaac is making his own plan, that he's, he's ignoring God's uh, plan, God's will in this. So the twins are born, and Esau is the stronger and the more impressive, and probably the, even the more likable of the twins. Um, one commentator pointed out that in, in the Hebrew of this passage, uh, the, the narrator is making it clear that um, the story is making it clear that Esau is the one who's probably the more likable of the two. Um, and he's the firstborn. Jacob is the weaker, second son, and he's born clinging to the heel of Esau. And Genesis 25, again, um, verses 27 and 28 tell us, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, we've got to put ourselves back in this culture, back in this ancient Mediterranean culture to understand a little bit about what's going on here. Um, Esau is a skillful hunter and a man of the field, and in a patriarchal society where the leader of the household was to be the protector and the provider of the household, Esau would have seemed to Isaac as the clear, wise choice to take the lead of the household. You see that? He can hunt. He's good with a bow. Uh, that would mean that he would be good in battle. Um, he can protect. It, it seems like it just makes sense. Um, except for the prophecy, right? Except for the prophecy. The Lord had clearly spoken. The older shall serve the younger. Isaac, who should have been the loving leader of his household and should have poured out equal love on his children, um, committed a great sin of preferring Esau over um, Jacob. And it's likely as a result of that preferential treatment that Jacob became his mother's favorite. You can kind of imagine this playing out over time as their kids, right? And Jacob keeps getting ignored. Esau keeps getting doted on by their father. And Rebecca looks on and goes, Jacob, come over here with me, right? Let, let's, let's spend some time together. And I think Isaac was the reason that um, Rebecca preferred Jacob. Commentator Kent Hughes says, Isaac thus tossed a relational torch into the tents of his family. And because of his sin, no one would do well, neither he, nor Rebekah, nor Isaac, nor Esau, nor Jacob, nor Esau. Uh, there are no heroes in this story, only 
sinners, and old Isaac was chief. We can only imagine the way that this sinful dynamic shaped this entire family and shaped Jacob into the broken man that he becomes. Um, All of the patriarchs that we read about in Genesis are sinners, and indeed all of the characters of the Bible are sinners, but um, none of them rise to the surface like Jacob. And so just a, um, a heads up, as we walk through this story, it's, it's a bit of a depressing story <laughs> because we're just seeing like sin after sin and, and, it's, and it's ugly. But I promise you that in the end, there is great hope. Um, so don't, don't worry. Um, so we can picture Esau, uh, you know, getting, getting all the attention, getting all the love, getting all the affection, and Jacob watching and longing for this, this man's attention, this man's love, and, and, and not just any man, but the leader of the household. It's, it's, it's the man that, that is the most important and most powerful man in his life, and he wants desperately for that man to look at him and say, I approve of you, son, and I love you. And he doesn't get it. And it shapes him. Because he never got that, I, I believe it, it, it's, it's what twisted him into the scheming and manipulative man that he becomes, even though his God had chosen him over Esau. In other words, God had blessed him, even if his father wasn't. God had blessed him before he was even born, and Jacob should have rested in that. But as we'll see, he did not. Um, so we first see in this story, um, we looked at this two weeks ago, when Jacob convinces Esau to sell his birthright. Do you remember that? You guys remember? Um, and, and what is it that Jacob's doing when he convinces Esau to sell his birthright? He's manipulating He's coming up with his, a plan in his own mind and his own strength and his own cunning to reach out and grab what he thinks is what the thing that he needs, right? He's born just after his big brother. And he thinks, oh, if I would have just been born a couple minutes earlier, then I would have the blessing that I need, right? And so he manipulates. He He uses cunning to try and reach out and grab the blessing that God had already promised to give him. Do you see that? He steals the blessing. He steals first the inheritance, the birthright from his brother in exchange for a bowl of stew. In other words, he bought the greater share of the inheritance from his brother with a bowl of stew. Isaac would have certainly been displeased with that whole exchange, both with Jacob's conniving and with Esau's foolish and rash decision, but the deal was done, and in those days, a man's word was his bond, and there was no going back on the deal. It must have brought the old prophecy to Isaac's mind when he heard about it, the older shall serve the younger. Still, Isaac determined to ignore God's word, and when it came time to pass on the blessing of God, he chooses 
Esau instead of Jacob. His love for his son became an idol that blinded him to what God was doing. Now, we keep talking about blessing. There's, what's all this talk about blessing? I want to um, take just a minute and talk about that before we go on to scene two, um, because it, this keeps coming up, and it's very, very important that we understand it. In this story alone, in Genesis 27, the, the words uh, bless, blessing or blessed comes up 23 times. So if you ever see that, you're reading in the Bible and you see a word that keeps coming up over and over and over again, pay attention. That there's a reason for that. It's a theme, and it's very, very important. The, this, this theme of blessing is all through the Old Testament, and it shows up uh, over 300 times, 355 times in the ESV in the Old Testament. That's a lot of times. Um, so what is it talking about? Well, when you're trying to understand a theme in the Bible, go back to where it first appears and see what it's talking about. And this theme of blessing shows up for the first time in Genesis. It shows up three times in the creation account. God blesses the animals, and he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And then he blesses the human beings, and he tells them uh, to be fruitful and multiply and uh, fill the earth and uh, subdue it and have dominion. And then finally, God blesses the Sabbath day. So, Here we are in the garden, and the garden is a perfect place where heaven and earth overlap, and God's dwelling among the people, and it's full of God's blessing. Blessing has to do with the ability to flourish and spread the life that God had given. Um, So God's blessing leads to abundance, to multiplication, and to right stewardship of God's creation. Blessing, in other words, represents the good life. The flourishing and the overflow of life given by God comes as we live in according to or in harmony with God's good design for the world he created. But Adam and Eve, as we know, rejected this design, and they choose sin, which brought about the opposite of blessing, which is curse. Curse is like anti-blessing. It spreads death instead of life. From Genesis 3 to Genesis 12, Um, we see the effects of sin spreading and this curse spreading throughout the earth and it brings uh, so much pain and suffering in the world. We see murder and sexual sin and broken families and prideful self-exaltation and violence and idolatry and all of the chaos that ensues as a result. And then in Genesis 12, God steps in and he chooses a man, Abraham, and he tells him, I'm going to bless you. And through your offspring, I'm going to bless the entire world. God begins a plan, in other words, to undo the curse brought about through sin and to spread blessing over all the earth. That's what God is doing in Abraham's family. God's promise is over and over, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. But Jacob misunderstands the nature of God's grace and how this blessing is received. Jacob has seen the fruit of God's blessing in his grandfather Abraham's life. He's seen it in his father Isaac's life, and he's determined to get it for himself, whatever it takes which brings us to scene two. 
Scene two is verses five through 17, and this is Rebecca's counterplan. And we didn't read all of these verses, it's a long chapter, um, but what you'll see there in starting in verses uh, six, sorry, six through 17, so starting in verse six is that um, Rebecca overhears this whole uh, plan that Isaac has made, and she comes up with a plan to, to, uh, give, to get Jacob blessed, to be blessed instead of Esau. Um, Jacob will pose as Esau, and blind old Isaac will never know. Jacob will wear Esau's clothes and put hair on his hands and arms so that he'll feel like Esau, and he'll bring his father a meal like the one he's expecting so that Isaac will utter those powerful words of blessing over his second-born son. No doubt she looked her son in the eyes and said something along the lines of, it's rightfully yours anyway. God chose you before you were born. Who does Isaac think he is giving your blessing to Esau? And so, as we all often do, Rebecca and Jacob believed they needed to help God out. They thought the promise was in jeopardy, and that in this way they justified their deceitful plan. Look at verse 12 um, there in 27. Jacob briefly protests. He says, Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And I believe we get here a glimpse of the fear that drove Jacob in life, the fear of missing out on the blessed life and instead being cursed. But Rebekah reassures him that if that happens, she'll bear that curse for him, and so Jacob consents and enters into his second scheme to take by cunning what God has already promised would be his. That brings us to scene three, uh, verses 18 through 29, Jacob's deception and the blessing. So the self-promoting Jacob dons his brother's clothes and walks timidly into the room where Isaac is resting. He tries to lower his voice so that he sounds like Esau. But his dad can tell something's off. And he asks him, how are you back so quickly? And Jacob stumbles through his second lie. And now he brings the Lord into it. Because the Lord your God gave me success, he says in verse 20. Verses 21 through 22, Isaac asks Jacob to come closer so that he can find out if it really is Esau. I mean, Isaac is making it so that Jacob is having to really lie, to really deceive. He says, your voice is Jacob's, but you feel like Esau. Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob lies for the third time to his father. Isaac eats the meal that he seemed to so greedily desire. It says three times that this is the, the food that he so loved, that he so loved. We can only imagine the scene unfolding at a painfully slow speed as the elderly man took one small bite at a time and chews and slurps while Jacob stands there watching and wondering how long before Esau returns. Belly full, Isaac seems to have one last test that he wants to throw out there to make sure this is indeed his firstborn. 
He asks his son to come near and kiss him. And when Jacob comes near, his father smells Esau's cloak, which smells like the outdoors. And Isaac's love for his firstborn son overflows as he passionately speaks God's blessing over Jacob in the form of a poem. Verses 27 through 29. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you you. That brings us to scene four, verses 30 through 40. Esau returns to find he is defeated. In verse 30, Esau returns just a moment after Jacob sneaks out. His father becomes aware of Jacob's deception, and it says that he trembles violently at what's just taken place. Immediately, his mind would likely have recalled the prophecy from all those years ago. The older shall serve the younger. Isaac knew he'd been kicking against the goads. He knew God had chosen Jacob to be the blessed of the Lord. He knew that Esau had despised his birthright, but he so loved him that he wanted God's word to be wrong. And yet in this moment, as he trembled in agony before Esau, I believe he also yielded to the will of God says in verse 30, I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. Again, commentator Kent Hughes states, Isaac's submissive conclusion, yes, and he shall be blessed, declared that he had been defeated and that he accepted Jacob as blessed of God. Nothing now or ever would change Isaac's mind, not even the tears of his beloved Esau. Isaac's idol had been toppled in the last hour of his life. Dr. Donald Barnhouse observes, Before a great work of grace, there must be a great earthquake. Isaac had put his personal love of Esau ahead of the will of God. Down came his idol, and the edifice edifice of willful love collapsed before the shaking power that took hold of him. The arrogant pride which had slyly planned to thwart God toppled to the ground, broken beyond repair. When Isaac trembled exceedingly, all his desires were shattered. In verses 34 through 38, the full weight of Esau's sin comes bearing down on him. He begs his father for but one blessing, but his father has none left to give him, for he'd given every blessing to Jacob. When Esau comes to see the great consequences of his sin of despising his birthright and that it was too late to repent, the manly man broke down and wept. There are no heroes in this story. (laughs) Kent Hughes once more makes a powerful observation. Everyone in the family sought the blessings of God without bending the knee to God. Now, I get it. It's a very depressing story. But cheer up, there's good news coming. (laughs) 
before we um, close, I want to give you one moral takeaway. I felt like we got to do that. After just looking at all of this brokenness, all of this depravity, I want to give you one moral takeaway um, from all of that. And then one incredibly uh, uh, beautiful, God-glorifying gospel takeaway. So here's, here's the moral takeaway. Um, for days after reading and studying this, I, I kept chewing on this and, and asking the question, what is the moral character, the virtue that is missing in this whole family? It seems like that there's something, one big thing that's missing, and then it hit me. What is the opposite of Isaac's stubborn opposition to God's word? What is the opposite of Esau's disregard for God's promise? What is the opposite of Rebekah's manipulation to try and achieve God's will? And what is the opposite of Jacob's scheming to reach out and take hold of God's blessing in his own timing, in his own way? And the answer is spirit-empowered meekness. Meekness. It's not a a character trait that we give much thought to, so let me explain it. Um, To quote John Piper, he explains meekness this way, meekness begins when we put our trust in God, then because we trust him, we commit our way to him, we roll onto him our anxieties, our frustrations, our plans, our relationships, our jobs, our health, and then we wait patiently for the Lord. We trust his timing and his power and his grace to work things out in the best way for his glory and for our good. That's meekness. Trusting his timing, his power, his grace to work things out in the best way for his glory and our good. Psalm 27 is about what it looks like um, to be meek. And so I want to look at that together, read you a few of the verses in Psalm 37. And then as we read this together, I want you to imagine if only Isaac and Esau and Jacob and Rebekah had followed this, how differently the story would have gone. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Do you see it? The meek trust the Lord. They commit their way to the Lord, and they wait for him to act. They wait patiently for him to work on their behalf, and they don't get anxious when things don't look like they're going to work out. 
they know in the end they will inherit the land. Jacob wanted to be the one to inherit the land, and he thought he had to scheme to make that happen because Jacob was not meek. If he had been meek, he would have trusted. He would have waited for God to work, for God to fulfill the promise that had been given. He wouldn't have reached out to try and take on his own terms, in his own way, in his own timing, what God had promised to give him. So here's our definition of meekness. It is the quiet confidence of a person who truly trusts God to work things out in the best way possible for his glory and our good. In some Bibles, meekness is translated in some verses as gentleness. And here's the reason. I think it is associated with gentleness because it often looks like gentleness in um, practice. It's, it's closely related because if you're meek, you're trusting the Lord. You're, you're not anxious. You're not self-willed. You're not imposing your will onto other people. You're not imposing your will into other situations, trying to control things. But instead, you're always resting in the confidence and peace that comes from believing that God will work things out. You see how that can look very much like gentleness. Meekness does not mean that you sit around and do nothing. Remember Psalm 37? They commit their way to the Lord. They do good. They befriend faithfulness. These are words that imply action, but they never feel the need to force things to happen the way that they think they should. They never feel the temptation to manipulate people and situations to get a desired outcome. That is the opposite of meekness. They befriend faithfulness and trust God to give what he wants to give. And they can lay down their anxiety because they really believe God's got this. They can lay down their own will because they really believe God's will is better. And they can stop striving in their own strength to force things to happen. So church, let's, let's embrace this biblical character trait of meekness and grow in this virtue that it was so glaringly absent from Isaac's family. Because God can be trusted to work things out in the best way possible for his glory and our good. That's the moral application. But there's something this story teaches us that's far more important than that moral application. And um, this is, at the foundation, a story about God's scandalous grace that he chooses to bless scheming, lying, self-seeking sinners like Jacob and like us. In spite of Jacob's consistent failures, and we're going to see more in the weeks ahead, God chooses him. In both Malachi and Romans, God declares not just that he chose him, but that he loves him. And it's staggering. God's kingdom is upside down to us. Really, we're the ones that are upside down. His grace is breathtaking. Over and over again, God chooses the worst of sinners to get glory. He chooses those who are rejected and forgotten. 
he chooses, uh, think about it, if you know your Bible, he chooses the barren woman to bring into the world some incredible person. He chooses the cowardly men. He chooses the outcasts. He chooses the weak. God chooses them because it magnifies the greatness of his grace. And hopefully you're already connecting these dots, but if you're a believer, God chose you not because you pleased him, not because you were so impressive, but because you would magnify the greatness of his grace. He chose us for the same reason he chose Jacob. We're trophies of grace. Let's consider that grace as we conclude. The story we learned about today is really a story about the gospel. You see, in Hebrews 2.11, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call Christians brothers. And what that's saying is that um, we've been adopted by his father. And we are now his younger siblings, all of us who are Christians. Jesus is our big brother And um, our father rightly loves and approves of our older brother. He deserves to be loved and approved of and doted on. And the father does dote on his son. Remember at his baptism, the father declares, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He does it again at the transfiguration. I mean, the father just loves the son so much. And remember the older son in the story of Esau and Jacob. It's tricked into selling the younger son his birthright. But in the gospel story, it wasn't a hasty exchange for a bowl of soup. But instead, our older brother willingly gives us his birthright. Hebrews 12, 23 says um, that in heaven, the assembly of the saints will be called the assembly of the firstborn. What that means is that everyone is going to be treated as the firstborn, the one who deserves the inheritance. We're all heirs of our father's kingdom because of Jesus And as we approach our Father, guess what? We come hidden in the Son that He loves. Just like Jacob approached his father hidden in his older brother, so we approach our Father hidden in Christ, Colossians 3, 3 says. We wear His robes as righteousness, and His flesh is our flesh, and we put off the aroma of Christ. And as a result, the blessing that Jesus rightly deserves is freely given to us. And the Father's not tricked into it. He knows. (laughs) He knows that this was the plan all along. We are declared holy and blameless before God because our big brother is holy and blameless before God. We are fully loved and fully accepted in 
him. Now we are the blessed of God. And that's not just in the life to come, that's now. Because of him, we can flourish as we live according to his design. Because he has given his spirit to us, we can spread his life everywhere we go. Because of him, because of Jesus, the one who is truly meek, we will inherit the earth one day. Because of Jesus, the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because the prophecy came true. Remember the prophecy? The older shall serve the younger. Our big brother, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't you see it? If you do, you can stop scheming about how to get the blessed life on your own terms. The Father wants to bless you with new life in spite of your sin. And all that's required is that you trust his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scandalous grace that you pour out lavish forgiveness and grace and mercy on us who do not deserve it, and that's exactly why it's grace and why it's mercy. Thank you for it, Lord. I pray that it would, that it would capture our hearts, Lord, that we would leave here dancing because of what you have done for us, that we would live in light of the fact that you have loved us, you have hidden us in your Son, You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and we will inherit the earth one day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.